0: TED Audio Collective. Welcome to TED Health, I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Today we're hearing a talk from sex educator Kaz about why teaching kids consent is crucial in stopping patterns of sexual violence. Then after the talk, stick around for my interview with Dr. Danielle Jones an OBGYN and online science communicator. She'll share some tips on how to practice and teach consent in our own lives. This show is brought to you by Schwab you're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends well now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle healthy eating wearable tech and more with schwab investing themes it's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes choose from over 40 themes buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals all in a few clicks schwab investing themes is not intended to be investment advice or recommendation of any stock or investment strategy learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing this episode is brought to you by progressive most
1: of you aren't just listening right now you're driving cleaning and even exercising but what if you could be saving money by switching to progressive
2: Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Seems like only yesterday, my mother said to me, the ugliest thing in the world is a naked man with socks on. (laughs) Can you believe that was the first piece of sex advice I ever received? (laughs) I was 11 years old, growing up in Kenya. And I believe this might have been my mother's way of trying to scare me out of having intimate relationships with men. (laughs) It didn't. (laughs) Instead, I became fascinated by sex. I wanted to hear other people's stories about sex and watch all the movies with all the sex scenes. Everything about this very taboo subject was so intriguing to me. Well, now my mom's gone. Nine years this year. And true to her word, the ugliest thing in the world is a naked man with socks on. (laughs) But over time, I have found things to be far much uglier. It took me a ton of therapy to realize that my fixation with sex was due to a traumatized childhood. See, I was sexually assaulted when I was eight years old. And I never told anybody. Because even in my comedic sex advice household, I still didn't learn about consent. And I was afraid. Afraid that I would get into trouble afraid that it was my fault or that nobody would believe me, or worse still, afraid that my parents would ground me forever. And I'm not alone. Men sexually assault women and girls on a massive rate in Kenya, where 45% of women aged between 15 and 49 have reported either physical or sexual violence. Actually, only 14% have reported sexual violence. And this is possibly because most of this violence happens in domestic partnerships, where the perpetrator is known by the victim. And these patterns play out all around the world. And I truly believe that it's a lack of sex education in schools that is partially to blame. Back home, the education system is one of destroying your relationship with self, shaming you for your discovery, and then praising you for how much you conform. This, coupled with disturbing imagery of ailing genitals, is aimed at teaching us one thing, to abstain from all sexual activity. The perfect puritanical society. But of course young people are still having sex. They just don't understand the consequences of their adult-like choices. This, too, was my experience. I had zero resources growing up and unfortunately often found myself in less than favorable situations as a teen and a young adult. Add on to that, coming out as a queer woman in a very homophobic country My therapist once jokingly said that I needed to pick a struggle. (laughs) All of this is to say, I really want to create a better transition process for young people because I truly believe that the more we talk about sex, the safer and the better it'll be for everybody. So in 2016, I started a sex-positive podcast called The Spread. (laughs) Targeted at a pan-African audience. I really wanted to create a safe space where young people could openly talk about different aspects of their sexuality without feelings of shame or judgment. And it turns out, people love to talk about sex. (laughs) And I've had the great pleasure and honor of answering a myriad of these questions about sex on my podcast, such as, my boyfriend says that if we have sex and it's my first time and without a condom that I won't get pregnant. Is this true? Of course it's not true. (laughs) Having sex without a condom poses great risk of not only getting pregnant, but contracting STIs. Or, I watch too much porn and I'm no longer aroused by my partner. Am I broken? No, you're not broken. But too much porn can desensitize you from real-life pleasures. Or, I'm 24 years old, and my friends make fun of me because I'm a virgin. Should I have sex just to gain popularity? Absolutely not! First of all, virginity is a social construct. And I think you should have your sexual debut. (laughs) Thank you. When you're good and ready to. A lot of the time, we have a lot of fun on the podcast, honestly, but sometimes it does get a little bit serious, especially when it comes to one topic in particular. Consent. These are some of the questions I receive. My husband insists on having sex with me even when I don't want to. I've relayed my concerns. He always responds with, you're my wife. It's your place to do so. How do I prevent this from happening? Or... I went out last night and woke up this morning next to the guy that was chatting me up. I have no idea what happened, but I think we had sex. What should I do? It's conversations like these that reinforce the fact that people don't have the first clue how to talk about consent. So it's become my life's work to create a curriculum to educate young people on consent. Now, the inspiration for this might surprise you, But I got it in my 30s after a visit to a BDSM dungeon. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, BDSM is a series of practices and erotic role play that involve bondage, discipline, dominance and submission, and sadomasochism. Now, I know. A lot of people have a lot of misleading information about the BDSM community, but more often than not, we create and curate safe spaces with an array of toys and items for the kinky community to play with, if they so please. It's like a playground for adults. <laughs> In BDSM, everything is negotiated before it happens. And these are some of the rules and regulations that would greet you upon entry. One, do not touch anyone without asking. Even a hug if you don't know somebody is a bad move without permission. Two, do not touch anyone's toys without permission. If you're not sure if something is a toy, ask. Three, consent can be withdrawn at any time during an activity. And my personal favorite, if consent is not given, do not ask again. Accept and respect and know as graciously as you would a yes. Now, in no way am I interested in teaching children BDSM. <laughs> but BDSM, a community that is created strictly for adults, that people view as shameful and dangerous, has better guidelines for learning about consent than many homes or schools in many parts of the world. And like you've heard, these rules aren't specifically sexual, but they can apply to sex. I truly think that the strategy to raising adults with healthy sexual behaviors is to first teach kids about consent, like super early, way before sex is even a topic of conversation. Can you imagine having conversations with kids and... Letting them know that everything about their bodies can be negotiated. For example, let them decide who they want to help them during bath time. Or tell them that they don't have to accept that kiss on the cheek from grandma. Or tell them that they have to ask for permission before they play with somebody else's toy truck. And let them know that they can say, actually, my pronouns are they, them, without feeling guilty. It's these tools that will help keep our children safe and respect people throughout their lives. We have the power to shape the future. The solutions are simple. It's the patriarchy that's so damn difficult. (laughs) So let's engage five, six, or eight-year-olds on conversation around consent and bodily autonomy as a function of affirming their humanity, which in turn can look like adults having safe, healthy, pleasurable, and fun sex. Because consent isn't just about sex. It's first about communication and relationships. Thank you.
0: This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customized to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com/thematic investing. Support for this show comes from Brooks. I've really gotten in a running this year, so I have to tell you about the Ghost Sixteen from Brooks because this shoe is kind of a game changer. I found the cushioning to be next-level comfortable. It's incredibly soft, yet surprisingly lightweight. It's literally comfortable every time my foot hits the pavement. The Ghost 16 from Brooks isn't just a shoe for me. It's a daily boost for my runs. Visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, listeners. I'm so happy to have Dr. Danielle Jones with us to continue the conversation on consent. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Danielle, you've been such a wonderful voice on social media, educating young people about sexual health on YouTube, Instagram, and even TikTok. Many have argued that sex education is exclusively the role of a parent or guardian. But you've argued that it's important for schools to teach sex ed. Can you tell us why?
4: You know, if you really think about it, having parents be completely responsible for sex education is not only a bit short-sighted in that many of these parents also did not get adequate sex education, but you also have a subset of parents who will not teach their kids anything about this, and these are often the kids who fall into categories that are more at risk. So children who are in homes where they are at risk of being abused sexually are going to be in homes that are not teaching them things that they need to learn. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is that the more that you ignore sex ed and make it taboo and make it a one-time conversation or having the talk, the more it becomes something that we don't talk about and something that's hush-hush. Having a curriculum that's age appropriate, that starts in Kindergarten with appropriate body part names and moves all the way through to high school with how to protect yourself against pregnancy and STI is an important part of general health education and just general education about yourself and your body and things that are applicable to almost everybody on the planet.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about that. What does a comprehensive curriculum in sex ed look like from your perspective? Does it go beyond the biological function of sex, including information about consent and even identity?
4: Absolutely. I think comprehensive curriculums for sex ed have been well developed and studied. There are a lot of really great uh, organizations who have released excellent resources for this. And almost universally, I would say they should include and probably start with discussions of consent and the fact that you are in control of your body and that you have a say in what happens as well as just names of normal body parts, just like everybody learns all of the names of their other body parts. And we've known for a long time that having the language to describe your body is helpful both in knowing what your own boundaries are and how to say no to things that you don't want, and also in terrible situations of abuse kids being able to explain what has happened to them exactly and who has done it and understand that those are things that they shouldn't have to experience and that aren't normal.
0: So what are some simple ways that you teach your children about physical boundaries and the concept of consent?
4: You know, we try really hard and it's hard because this isn't a standard part of culture, but we try really hard to encourage our kids that they don't have to give hugs if they don't want to. They can say no to kisses even from mom if they want to. And, you know, sometimes that makes me sad, but that's my problem that I have to deal with, and it's it's not their fault if they don't want to be hugged or touched at a certain time. So we try really hard to do that, and try really hard to be in their corner if it's with a family member, and you know the, the kids aren't really into it. Just it's okay. You don't have to give hugs. Can you just do you want to give a fist bump instead? Do you want to just wave? Um, and I think that that's really important in just honoring kids' autonomy. They don't get a lot of control over a lot of things, especially when they're really little. And they know that I can override that autonomy if it's something that risks their safety, like you have to put your seatbelt on in the car. And if you don't feel like doing that, I will either put it on for you or you don't get to go wherever we're going. So they know that there are some things that are exceptions. And I think that's important to learn about at a really young age. And the other thing we try to do is we don't want to make bodies taboo in our house so we try to you know be open and not have you know the kids are in and out sometimes when i'm in the shower or whatever but if they feel like they want to not have people around when they're changing to give them the space to do things the way that they feel comfortable
0: yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's interesting in that people don't realize that consent isn't just about sexual contact, right? It starts at a young age with consenting, as you said, to hug adults or being tickled. You shouldn't be tickled, right, if you hate it. Um, and and so what's an appropriate age to start doing this as a parent?
4: We've started since our kids were babies, essentially, and it kind of started with what I was talking about just now. But also, we really encourage and use the phrase on a frequent basis. If your friend isn't having fun, you have to stop. If you're doing a game or a wrestle match or a tickle match or something's going on and your friend isn't having fun or your friend is saying no, that means stop. Even if you're still having fun, you still stop.
0: And so if a young person has questions about sex in general or consent where would be a safe place for them to find answers?
4: Bedsider.org is a great place for just discussions of um, appropriateness and consent.
0: So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience educating and helping patients through social media. Like, how did you start doing this?
4: It kind of started a little bit as an accident. I've been, I'm a little bit of a dinosaur in the world of being a doctor on social media. I started blogging back in about 2009 when I was a medical student, which was really weird back then because people had blogs, but generally doctors and medical students were not blogging about their experiences in medicine. It Really quickly, I realized that this is a great place to both connect with other doctors and medical students, but also to learn about patient stories. So I made it a habit to kind of follow some of the uh, pregnancy loss and infertility communities just from afar and listen to their experiences of things that people had said or done when they had a pregnancy loss or a miscarriage or a termination that they needed to work through. And some of the things that people were saying to them, particularly their health care providers that made the situation worse. And through that, I kind of developed my my mantra for my bedside manner and how I wanted to live my life as a doctor, which was that I was always going to have situations in medicine where I couldn't fix it, where I can't make this better. But I never want to be the person who makes it worse. And that kind of became my my goal in medicine. So I got so much benefit from that but then i started residency and i had two six-month-olds and i was starting an intense ob-gyne surgical residency and there was no way i could keep doing social media so i took a break for most of residency and then i restarted my instagram kind of with the persona that people know now of mom and dr jones in 2017 and i kind of just started youtube by accident i guess that the youtube just filled a gap that people wanted because it took off and i'm really proud of what we've built there
0: What's been the most surprising or unexpected thing about being so open on social media?
4: I think the most surprising thing is how it kind of exploded. I didn't expect to ever just be like walking down the street and people be like, oh, I watch your videos. And that's such a nice feeling of some, you know, a random teenager in town just coming up and saying, like, you helped me understand this or that better. Um, and then on the flip side of that, a bit unexpected, how... Um, vile people can be sometimes and some of the things that happen behind the scenes. But I would say for the most part, we have an incredibly powerful and positive community. And I feel very supportive by the people who come onto my channel and onto my social medias. And it's, it's really enjoyable. Amazing.
0: Dr. Danielle Jones is an obstetrician, gynecologist, and science communicator. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been such a great conversation and uh, really an honor to get to talk with you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media and fact-checked by TED. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Grace Rubenstein, Maria Lages, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week.
1: You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack.